good evening and welcome back to Editing Aloud. The RAND is back to pre-Sura Ramaphosa levels, back to November levels. Um, Ron Darby, have we done something wrong? Has the Ramaphoria waned? Uh, I don't think we've done anything wrong. I, th I think it's just the way that the markets are shaping up right now when it comes to emerging markets and given and given the the, the US dollar. The, the, the thing is, the, the dollar now is being pegged, it's, it's more expensive than it was for the past decade or so, and everyone's getting used to that new truth. And as well, we have Donald Trump rampaging across across the global, global markets about his trade war issue. So I don't think we've done anything. And given the Ryan is, is the emerging market <coughs> bet that you make, the Ryan is going to suffer its consequences of this risk of such scenario. So I don't think there's anything per se that the South African, South Africa can do at the moment about it and done to cause it. Lukanya was always, it was always the kind of um, the risk that people flag that, you know, when the emerging markets tide went out, mm. South Africa might be sort of revealed in all its vulnerability. Um, as Ron says, this is a, an, emer an emerging market route in general, but is South Africa particularly vulnerable, do you think? I um, mean, I agree with Ron as well. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say so, Hillary. I mean, they, but it, that doesn't also mean that we discount all the domestic issues. Mm. I mean, we've all seen the headlines from the issues with the state-owned enterprises, the strike action at ESCOM, load shedding, and and more importantly, structurally, like I mean, the issue about the ANC, like I mean, conferences being delayed everywhere. Like there's a feeling that Ramaphosa is struggling to actually get hold of, this, of, 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 of the party and actually impose himself on it. And all the other debates we've had from issues like land appropriation and those kind of issues, we, don't, we can't discount any of them. But I would agree that, 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 that those are not necessarily the main driver. Because I think if you look at other emerging market currencies from Turkey to Argentina, you wouldn't look at South Africa and think it's the worst. But, but, but the domestic issues do play a role as well. Yeah. We were kind of hoping we weren't Turkey or Argentina. <laughs> I mean, do, you think, do you think this is the new normal we've got to get used to? Look, uh, we, we, the new normal we have to get used to is a certain chap across the Atlantic. His name is Donald Trump. Uh, that, that this is all about him. And to, today he's imposing sanctions uh, on, on Russia and on Iran and then uh, uh, trade, uh, trade tariffs against steel from China and everything. So we will have to, investors probably have to really get used to, to this uncertainty. Uh, that is called Donald Trump. He's a walking bomb, basically. And basically for emerging markets, <laughs> Ron, that, that really means that, that, that emerging markets are all vulnerable and get hit every time he drops another bomb. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing. I think what we should hope for, like, funny enough, 10 years ago when you we were writing about these things, we'd say U.S., uh, for, for, for there to be U.S. growth concerns, I think that would help emerging market currencies. If they need, everyone has a sense that maybe the, the U.S. Should, uh, stop the, the rise in interest rates there and there's an issue about their growth, maybe that will be good for emerging market currencies. But for now, as long as the, the U.S. economy, everyone's rather happy about the U.S. economy and you have Trump uh, rattling his, his saber across the globe, uh, emerging markets in particular are, are in for, for a bumpy ride. I mean, it's, it's true what, what, what Lucanio was saying. I mean, the story around emerging markets is, I mean, politically, across, across the spectrum, there is some negativity about our politics. Although ours, for once, we don't have Jacob Zuma, there was a highlight, a key highlight for us. But uh, there is those concerns, right? And as long as growth is good in the U.S., I think the, the ride will be on the back foot for a while. But you know, it's been, how, how long has it been? Over 10 years of U.S. growth. So at some point, there will be question marks about the U.S. economy, and hope maybe that's what the RAND will pick up. In the meantime, um, do we have to worry about, with the RAND heading towards 14, yeah. though I don't want to call mm -hmm. that one yet, mm -hmm. 
do we have to worry about an interest rate hike from our own monetary policy makers rather than the cut that people were hoping mm. for just a few months I was, ago? Mm. I was so surprised by inflation being 4.4% in May. So it hasn't, well, but fine. there is a, a high coming. And yeah. what do you think? I mean, I think we can't be complacent on that point. I think Kuben Naidu was on Bloomberg TV yesterday saying if the second round effects make themselves felt or if their forecasts change, that they will have to act at some point. Obviously, he wasn't saying they're going to act now in response to what the land has done yesterday. Mm. But if their forecast for inflation change, and also I think people have also we've had an issue with petrol prices been up like something like ten percent this year, so that's bound to fit into prices overall and might fit in to inflation expectations. And we also have this round of labour discussions happening. I think ESCOM what did it, once they, they've gone from zero to four percent, and I'm pretty sure they're not going to stop at four percent. So uh, so there's, 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 there's a lot of like dangers. And I mean I can't see that yet, the, them actually cutting rates, that's for sure. And we'd rather know that they didn't hike rates because I don't think the economy could, su could support that. But if inflation goes in the wrong direction, they might not have a choice despite the economy contracting. It's all starting to look a little mm. more concerning, shall we say, than it was just a month ago mm. uh, with, 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 with the possibility that mm. the RAND gets really weak and um, interest rates certainly don't cut and may hike um, and uh, growth sort of stalling and um, load shedding itself may mm. not may not help matters. Mm. Sekunati, we're itching to get back to the kind of the big topic of ESKIM. Who offers workers zero percent and then doesn't expect that it will all end in tears? <laughs> uh, look, I, I have said it uh, before and I'll say it again that Unfortunately, we have the regime where we all get used to salary increases, however small they are. But the very fact of the matter is ESCOM needs to be cutting salaries or, or cutting jobs. So that was a start. Uh, the, the question now is how far high up will they go from the 4.7% that ESCOM has offered? And this will all come back to bite uh, the workers themselves. Because if you inflate your bill by 4% or, or even 8%, whatever the settlement figure will be in the end, that money still has to come out of the costs when ESCOM does uh, downsize the stuff because it needs to. And th th that's, that's just a fact, or a fact of the matter. Uh, opening with a 0% uh, and no increase uh, was that's what they could do at that point, but they, they possibly could have communicated better with the workers and get the people on board and everyone understand exactly that we are in the same boat, we sink or swim together. That, that, that does not seem to have happened. It doesn't look like the management did actually take the workers into their confidence and before it, it surprised them with a no offer. But but do you think they took? Uh, do you think they had the backing of the shareholder? Because I think that that is one of my questions about the whole thing is is how quickly the sort of good governance thing from Praveen Gordon. I'm going to appoint this competent board and let them do their thing and and competent management and let them do their thing. Um, it didn't take much for him to intervene uh, directly himself. So now so now that from that come two questions. Is the first my first question to you is, is do you think that 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 the Eskom CEO and his team had the backing of the shareholder for the zero percent offer? In which case, should be we be worried that that the shareholder, being Praveen Gordon, turned around so quickly and backed down in the face of the unions? And I suppose related to that, 
Should we be then worried that there's going to be more interference in the SOEs? Look, look Hillary, the, the, the fact of the matter is the board and management run the organization. Uh, the shareholder appoints the board and the management and therefore should have confidence in their ability to run the business. Uh, I would not expect uh, uh, management or the board to, to, to run to the shareholder each time they need to make a decision. So they made that decision and, and, and things spiraled to what they were. Uh, I did point out again last week uh, that ESCOM was vulnerable. It cannot sustain a strike because it went into this is short of coal already. Uh, so just a slight disturbance uh, was always going to give us load shedding. So that's the point. Uh, uh, Pravin uh, Gordon then intervening uh, to, to save the day here uh, is, 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 is to be welcomed. Uh, however, it does of course send a precedent that uh, each time the unions are unhappy with the board and management, they will run to the shareholder, to the politician, because they can always threaten the politician, we'll fire you. Uh, because we put you there in the first place. So uh, the, the, there has to be a balancing act, but uh, I do not believe the board should not be able to run the company and it has to run every decision by the shareholder. Though surely, Rondabi, the, the uh, offering zero, mm. which is a really aggressive act, is yeah. quite a big strategic decision. If you were Eskom CEO and board, would you not run that by the shareholder and get the political support before you even contemplated going with such a thing? And as Zikonazi says, you know, mm. start uh, talking to unions well before you make such an offer. I guess you have to speak to, you, to the shareholder like, like any company would. But I think... I mean, uh, them backing down so quickly is kind of where I, I'm really disappointed. I, I, I mean, they would have been hurt like, by the load shedding and so on, but I, I think the ESCOM board should have been allowed to assert the authority. I think the intervention by Pravin, or, 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 or however well-meaning it was, I don't think it was this time unnecessary. I, I, it goes back to 2009 when uh, I think ESCOM wanted a 16% tariff increase and Zuma was just in power then and he went and like the, the people we cried to him, all of us Africans, and they got an 8% increase from NERSA. The pressure was so hard on NERSA, gave them 8%. And since then, every decision that ESCOM, every good decision, like a solid business strategic decision that ESCOM needs to make has been influenced by politics. It's just, so our politicians have been running this organization. This was, I thought, the one chance where the new CEO, uh, the new CEO, the new board had to face the unions and, and may, they would have been paid. I mean, the, I, over the past week, weekend, I had no lights and so on, and well, like most Africans, that's pain we take. But the ESCOM board needed to be back to the hill by a shareholder, not come and intervene there and come play a political game with the unions. As much as I, I know, we, we discussed this with Sikonati about the fact that coal stocks, I mean, stockpiles weren't enough. This was def definitely This was a happen. bit more than that. I mean, our columnist, yeah. Carol Payton, mm. um, reflected two things. The, yeah. one is, well, the one is that, that Mr. Khadebe, the new CEO of ESCOM, mm. doesn't seem to have anticipated that there would be the violence that there was. Mm. And, and she made the point that, in fact, he should have anticipated yeah. that because it happens in every Yes, he should have gone for it. But the other is that it war, does yeah. seem that there was sabotage in the sense that, that workers, uh, if, even if they they may not have struck, mm. but they but they did go in there and, yeah, they and should mess be charged up the plants. Mm. Mm. Give, give the board the chance to actually finally run. It's been 10 years when ESCOM has been in political political figures' hands. And as much as we all back Pravin Gordon as, as a good minister, the fact is it's still in politicians' hands when this thing should run as an organization, right? Uh, and and, and the, the weakest point here about ESCOM, and, and now that the things have turned so quickly, what ESCOM now needs to do is agree on a settlement very quick, mm. uh, be that 
uh, the inflation rate and nothing on top of the inflation rate or inflation plus 0.3 and go very hard at work and stockpile make sure they are ready for the next strike uh, the, the real action is coming when ESCO must cut jobs uh, 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 Sun Tzu in the art of war says the general must be prepared for so it's a surprise that uh, that ESCOM's generals were not prepared for this go in uh, uh, pay the employees overtime all the overtime they want to stockpile and make sure you can withstand 60 days of labor or of labor of the absence of labor and and deal with the bigger elephant in the room and that elephant is the cost the, the cutting as jobs. i understood it that was not just the coal it was switching of water pumps mm -hmm. and 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 it was deliberate sabotage criminal, yes. criminal criminal actions action, which yes, yes. which now are a criminal matter that needs to be dealt with, yeah, dealt with. The, the 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 intelligence uh, uh, operations of these countries security services have been sleeping for 10 years this is their job uh, to, to to apprehend the criminals inside escom and guess what that's an automatic dismissal offense uh, it's a dismissible offense you get rid of those people they're helping uh, the bigger project uh, in a way but what they need to do now is settle this and, and quickly stockpile and make sure to be ready and automate everything they can. Uh, the coal itself must uh, roll itself into the power station and be ready for the biggest strike of their time. And perhaps the new review of the State Security Agency can touch on these matters <laughs> as well. But we're going to take a break and we'll come back and talk to you later. Welcome back. And another issue uh, in the news this week, which uh, may scare off investors or may attract them, is the new draft mining charter that um, the new Mineral Resources Minister had put out. Now, one of the, the changes compared to the old draft mining charter of June 17 is that there's a very different minister. Uh, Sekunati, is that enough to get this one through, or is this still quite a scary charter for investors? The, the, the Chamber of Mines has not yet, to the best of my knowledge, commented on, on, on this document. And remember, they have a month, all, all interested stakeholders have a month to go back and say, we're happy, we're unhappy with that and that. But there are many important uh, uh, concessions that the minister has done. He's definitely uh, done away with that uh, with the Mr. Benzizwane effect. The never empowered. <laughs> yes. So uh, empowering. As the, the, the one mm. biggest commitment is once we adopt this for the next 30 years we will work on this uh, the, the, that will be the, 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 the governing document for, for mining one and and of course he's increased again the, the, the black shareholding to uh, requirement to 30% uh, but it's a lot more palatable uh, from from where I stand than than the previous charter and 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 of course uh, you, you don't get the impression that he's trying to catch anyone off off guard here so it's uh, but let's wait for the for the people who put real money in there to to make their well, that, that, that is the thing really I mean look I know the context is one in which mining investment is falling in fact it's dead um, now, what seems to have really spooked the, um, the industry and investors and the, the Minerals Council, which is what the Chamber of Mines mm -hmm. is called, is this, this idea of a free carry, that you have to give away 10% of your shares on top of the, um, the rest of the 30% that you have to probably mm -hmm. finance if you're the mining company. I mean, is this, 
For a long time, investors have been calling for policy certainty. Is this the kind of policy certainty that investors and the industry actually want? I mean, I think, I suppose on one level, it is certainty whether it's good or bad. <laughs> That's another one we can debate. And, 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 and unlike the sort of arbitrary system you'd had before, where you, where you would know from day to day what would come. But maybe you can plan around it. I don't know whether. But the, I mean, the bigger question, is, as Konati said, is whether or not it makes the industry more attractive or less attractive. And also we have to remember, we live in a different age now. I think sometimes there's this idea that we're still in the 70s or 80s and mining is this great source of wealth. But I'm not sure whether it is. I mean, in, in the end, we have to face the reality it's a declining industry. And even when even in all these empowerment deals, sometimes you have to ask the questions, is it actually, what is the societal value? Do we really need to want, ask all these people to risk the new, newly found wealth or newly found input into, into an industry that actually doesn't have much of a future. Are we doing the right thing? Are we just doing empowerment for the sake of empowerment? I think, but, but I think that's some of the deals, some of the more difficult questions that we don't actually ask when it comes to these issues. Is it really a good thing for more people to own mines that are actually in decline? Or should they be owning other things? <laughs> mm. Mm. Yeah, Ron, what do you think? I mean, is, 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 if you were a black empowerment player, mm. who would mining be the industry in which you'd want to invest? Uh, it's, uh, I mean, if look Even at it, for free. I mean, right <laughs> now, no. But, uh, but you can imagine, ten, 10 years ago, of course you want to be in mind. It's the only place to make it. When the margins these guys were carrying it, Anglo Platinum was making a 60% margin. So when it's sweet, it is sweet. Uh, but uh, I guess if you ask me now as a black investment investor, I wouldn't want to go into it. But then we are in the bottom of the cycle. So one, oh, I don't know, like mining, it's a, it's a gamble, but will platinum ever come back? Will diesel cars win the debate in Europe or whatever, and then platinum has, some, has a future life? But when, but when it's good, it's good. And that's, I mean, the whole idea of Patrice Mutzep, the why he's everywhere, is because you started mining. So mining does give you that, that base. It does, and South Africa's co our country is, my, mining is still central to it. For um, I know as everyone talks about it's, it's death. I think I'm just in love with mining, just for the sake that <laughs> it can, it, it employs so many people and it's so important to, I guess, to places like Eastern Cape and, and KZN to like migrant laborers. We, we have an unskilled workforce. So I still have this deep love for it. But right now, no, but in the future, yeah. And I mean, all this legislation, all this charter, what it does is, I mean, right now, even let's say if South Africa had the best legislation on, on mining, no one would be investing in case, but no one is. Like, whether mm. how smooth you are, if we, if we had the best, no one's putting money into ground right now. Mm. But is this chance any more likely to get them to invest? I mean, this once empowered thing was a big thing. I think just that alone is a, a big sigh of relief for miners. So if, if, you, if, you, if you sold to Lokanyo 26% and he's gone, doesn't mean you have to sell to uh, Sikunati another 26%. All he needs to sell to Sikunati is 4%, and then you have 30%, and you're done for it, and you carry on. So I think... Uh, I think it's, uh, it's, it's a positive step, and this is a good minor for it. I, I, th well, I think uh, it's also important to point out, as like Sikonati and his colleagues did in today's paper, that even within this context, maybe mining is struggling across the world, we actually, relatively speaking, we're doing worse than we ever did. I think we're the eighth biggest gold miner now behind Peru. And like in the 70s, 80s, when went to yeah, the gold mining state. I mean, people, when, when they thought about gold mining, they thought South Africa, right? Now, upon they think of Peru before they think of South Africa. So, <laughs> so, yeah, I so suppose it, at least we have the other, the mm, iron ores and the base metals. Yeah, and we have, metals, yeah. hopefully, mm -hmm. the fact that we have Gwene Mantasha as mining minister is very different to having yeah. Mosebenz as mining the, minister. The one thing we have to clarify, though, that 10% that free carry. 
you're giving five percent to your own employees, mm. which companies were always going to do. Yeah. Mm. So and and employees were actually being uh, that was an incentive this, model. This is Sikonati's pitch one. for for uh, shares and board positions for workers. And 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 secondly, the other five percent goes to the communities. Mm. Uh, th this is different to when the government said, give us, we want the 20%. Yeah. So th th this is, again, a, a, great, a great part innovation in, in, in this. Uh, in this charter, uh, definitely the 30-year and, and, and the empowerment credits uh, does wonders uh, for, for certainty. Will that attract more mining into this country? Not in a million years. Uh, it, it just will keep the people that are operating and uh, uh, going. But with margins of 60%, trust me, when, if, if, the, if this cycle <laughs> turns, they'll come in. Ah, like, okay, fine, there's a little 30% we have they'll, to deal with. We'll deal with, we'll deal with that. Right. They'll come running. I, I, I think mining works in a different, it's a cowboy industry they'll come they'll know those margins will be take 60 percent where do you get that when things are good well, we've got to pray for things to get good and then i think they'll still come in but speaking um, of cowboys some one of you has to explain to me this marion roberts mm. um contested bid of a sort so mm. you've got the german uh, family company Aton trying to come in yeah. and the deal going to the competition tribunal mm. Mm. um with marion roberts accused of frustrating the Aton. Mm investment mm -hmm. by going trying to go off with Avenge. Mm -hmm. So now Ron, maybe you can explain to me what does this mean? Does this mean something for, for the way we do takeovers in South Africa? Yeah, this is, I, I don't know. Or, no, or fail to do them, especially do foreign them. takeovers. I don't know. This, this, the story reminds me, we've seen quite a few of the way the board almost takes the mantle and says, look, we don't want this bid coming in. Maybe safeguard their own jobs. I, I don't know. So they fight back this Aton bid. And, it was Marion Roberts went and went and bid for his Avenge, right? Mm -hmm. And initially they said they don't want to be in South African's contracting sector. So that was Marion Roberts' future protection. When when these Germans came, the German bid came in, they suddenly were going to buy Avenge, and this makes strategic sense to to us. Uh, so it, it, I would say that is a bit of uh, they are doing exactly that. They are frustrating this Aton bid, and for what reason? Maybe to drive up the share price. Uh, but I, I think also it's about the boards themselves become a. Institution onto them, on, and supposedly they're protecting protecting shareholder value, but I don't think they really are. I think it's very much about the board and wondering if they'll have a job tomorrow. I, d I don't know. But the story also, in truth, I haven't gone too into in depth about it. But we've seen lots of stories like this where the board, like PPCs, but mm. PPCs, but against uh, the Afri Sam, you can see the board is looking out for themselves and ensuring that they stay in power with regards to PPC. So I, this, and this is what's been unfolding in South Africa for this a couple of years. And they play the sort of regulatory yes. game they where they the try and drag the regulators into yeah. it. Yeah, yeah the, the, this is how all uh, hostile takeovers work. Mm. Uh, the, the, the management and the board mm. uh, are, are, not def are not at all really looking out for shareholders. Mm. Uh, they, they, they are looking after their own interests. Of course, they will manipulate the situation. Mm. Uh, to, like, like you, you see that, 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 that uh, uh, the expert advice that says the share is worth between 20 and 22 rand. So let the shareholders uh, make that decision. Why go frustrate uh, the deal? You, they, they're actually doing everything to make sure that uh, Artin does not find this company attractive anymore so that Henry Lass can tomorrow go back to work as chief executive and, 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 and the board. And this is in an industry that really, really does need all the investment opportunities it can get. Basel Reed is on its knees. Uh, indeed, so I Avenge, went into bus business rescue. Yes, yeah. indeed, Avenge itself is on its knees. If 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 
Marion Roberts is a fraction of what it was five years ago, ten years ago. Of course, one could argue and say it's sweet desserts for all of them. Uh, think about uh, uh, 2010, but they are real human beings uh, that have nothing to do with this, that get affected directly and they get hurt where it, it hurts the most. That's, that, that's the tragedy of the whole thing. But the Germans are coming in with the money and are determined to mop up the shares in the market. So let's see how it plays out. On the other hand, Liberty, <laughs> whose, yeah. whose defences have been breached. Anyone here a Liberty, Liberty policy holder? I am. You uh, are. Uh, and are you worried, Sikonati, I, about uh, the, the data hack? Look, uh, the, the problem we, about what's at Liberty, I'm not worried. What I am worried about is what these guys have seen that, that they, they, they helped. So the fact that Liberty has now taken steps to protect its infrastructure and, and, and its assets does not mean that the people who now have your bank account and your everything, uh, that, that does not mean you are safe. And the, 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 the problem is when you get hacked elsewhere on information they obtained via Liberty, but you cannot prove it, you cannot link it. That's the biggest threat. Ron? Are, yeah. you, are you worried? Are you a liberty policy? No, worried? no, I'm not. And do you think liberty has handled this as they should have? I think uh, as a company, liberty, I mean, they've handled it as best as they as, as possibly could, the fallout from it. But it's, it's all bad news. When liberty is uh, the one insurer that's been in trouble for for, uh, for for some time now. So this crisis comes at probably the worst time possible for the new CEO, Dave Monroe, who was brought in there to resurrect this uh, Standard Bank uh, subsidiary. So, and it's all about trust. Right? No one was quite trusting what, what is liberty. And I'm sure attracting new, I mean, they were losing lots of market share. This must affect them in any attempt of trying to regain any market share where now there's issues around their security. I mean, in Sikonati's uh, financial mail, there's an IT exec who says that uh, Liberty has never looked at uh, IT security and taken it seriously, an insider there. So this, uh, in terms of their battle to get, regain market share from the discoveries and the other uh, guys in, in, in their patch, it's terrible for them. It's dead to the brand. It's dead to the brand, the place, right? Yes, yeah, that's... Yeah. So I think Dave Monroe has a huge job ahead of him. And he's I'm, a good I'm not guy, a politician, yeah. and he's a good guy, right? He's, a, he's actually got a, he's got, from In Bank. fact, we've got an, a, another life for sure, yeah. which is actually listing on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange next week, which is Old Mutual. Oh, which is back. Old uh, Mutual, yeah. the mm. South African Old Mutual, the mm. new Johannesburg-based Old Mutual, um, which uh, is coming home, as it were, splitting out uh, with the finally after mm. almost twenty years. Yeah. Um, are you going to the party? Do you think this is a good thing? Are you impressed, is in it, fact, that they've carried, split out the company as quickly as they have done? Is it a good thing that they're coming back, or is it a sign that they, know they that should we, never have gone? They should have gone. I mean, like 10, 15 years ago, it was very fashionable. Everybody wanted to go to London, New York. And it'd be interesting, actually, to see what kind of value creation or value destruction has, has resulted from, from that big rush to, to, to London and, and the U.S., and we know they bought a lot of stuff in the U.S. just before the subprime crisis, sort of like. Suppose that's a bit unlucky. Like, no, I don't think anybody foresaw that would happen. <laughs> but it's interesting to, to, to have a thought back on, because on, it, it was a quite a thing at the time. Everybody were, and everybody it's, you knew was, was starting. It's quite easy to make the comparison between Sanlam mm. and Old Mutual. And, and a lot of failure has been created at Sanlam, and a lot of failure has been destroyed at Old Mutual. Uh, you, you, whether or not that's because they, they chose the wrong assets and the, correctly the timing, as Lucanio pointed out, is a different story altogether. What they have not shown us 
is what it is that they got by going uh, all the way to, to London in the first place. Either way, they are now back. Well, mm. these, the South African mm. business, the emerging mm. market, the sub-Saharan African business is now back. Mm. And uh, primary listing on the JSE, which is a big listing, even yeah. though they're not raising money. Um, mm. So, yeah, blowing the kudihun next week will be Old Mutual uh, with Trevor Manuel, the former finance minister, as, as its chair. Yeah. Yeah. That's all we have time for. Thank you very much, and please join us again next week.